it says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that with the heart we believe and are justified, and with the mouth we confess and are saved. We thank you for the beautiful feet of those who brought us the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word preached. And we pray for your servant, George Martin, as he comes. We pray you will fill him with your spirit, that you will give him clarity, conviction, courage, compassion. We pray that you will speak this morning, Father. And that we, your people, will hear and obey. And we pray again today, as your word is proclaimed, that your spirit will not only strengthen your church, but Lord, that you, by your grace, would stir in the heart of one who doesn't believe today, that they might believe in their heart and be justified and confess with their mouth and be saved. We ask it all for the glory of Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. Let me just say that uh, Don and I are so grateful to you for the invitation to come and be a part of uh, this missions conference, this missions weekend. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we have just read from, your pastor just read from Romans chapter 10. Stay right there in Paul's epistle to the Romans and turn over just a page or two to Romans chapter 15 where we will find ourselves this morning. Already from chapter 10, we have gained a sense of Paul's sense of urgency, his passion for the gospel, his desire to take the gospel, to preach the gospel to those who do not have it, knowing that only if they hear the gospel, only if they respond in faith will they be saved. And that theme just continues throughout his writings. And we come now this morning to Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is reminding the Romans and us about all that we have in Christ. Christ is the hope of both the Jew and the Gentile. Takes us all the way back to Romans 1.16, doesn't it? That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and then the Gentile. Aren't you glad that the gospel 
has come not only to the Jew, but also to many of us who are Gentiles. And so the theme is here before us. And Paul is writing about his ministry of the gospel. He writes to the Romans and says to them, but God has given me a special charge to take this gospel to the Gentiles. And so we we begin, we pick up in chapter 15, verse 17, where Paul writes that in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. You remember he said in chapter 10 how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Paul has reason to be proud of what he does in preaching the gospel. But he goes on and says that I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Andrew Fuller, the contemporary of William Carey, that great Baptist missionary, William Carey, a friend of, uh, uh, Andrew Fuller, friend of uh, William Carey. Andrew Fuller, in his journal for July 5th, 1780, he wrote these words, and I quote, I longed in prayer tonight to be more useful. Oh, that God would do something by me. Nor is this, I trust, from ambition. What he means is a personal, selfish ambition. But from a pure desire of working for God and the benefit of my fellow sinners. Fuller's motives correspond precisely with those of the Apostle Paul, don't they? which we have read about here in our text, but we might look at many of his epistles. But Paul, time and time again, reminds us that he does what he does because he glories in Christ Jesus. He glories in his service to God. He says in our text, I will speak of nothing except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. As we think about this text, the first thought that comes to my mind that there is, is that there is a general principle that governed the life of the Apostle Paul. Just a, kind of a, a, a basic life principle that drove him. And it's found in verses 17 and 18 and 19. And I would state it this way. Paul simply gloried in Jesus Christ. That was what he was always doing. He would not speak of himself unless he had to. But even then, he couched all of that in terminology that directed his hearers right back to Jesus Christ. This was the principle of Paul's life. I will glory in nothing but Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished through me. We find this same sentiment in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31 
and that larger text there, you remember how the Apostle Paul wrote, let no one boast unless they boast in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he reminded his readers that he proclaimed not himself, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. This is the principle that governed his life. Always he would speak of Christ. Always of Jesus Christ. And in this, I want you to notice with me the tenacity, the perseverance of the Apostle Paul. You can't move him off of this principle. It governs every aspect of his life. Do you remember that sequence of events in the closing chapters of the book of Acts? Do you remember that? The Apostle Paul, he's been on his missionary journeys, um, and uh, he comes to the end of his ministry and his life, and he finds himself on his way to Rome. Let's go back and rehearse some of those chapters for just a moment. And the story as it unfolds and comes to a conclusion in Paul's life and ministry. There in chapters 21 and 22, Paul found himself being threatened by the masses of people there in Jerusalem. And what did he do? He testified of his Lord. There's that principle. I will do nothing except speak of Jesus Christ. Let them threaten his life. And what does he do? He speaks of Jesus. In chapter 23, the next chapter, he was hauled before the hostile Sanhedrin who sought to put him in prison and perhaps even take his life. What did he do in front of these enemies? He spoke of the resurrection. Chapter 24, for two years... At the mercy of Felix, Paul explained to Felix the way and talked again about the resurrection. Put him in danger, put him in chains, put him in jail, bring him before the authorities. And what does he do? He speaks of Jesus Christ. Chapter 25, he is then brought before Festus and he remains unwavering in his preaching of Jesus, his preaching of the gospel. Chapter 26, they're not sure what to do with the Apostle Paul. And so they bring him before one authority after another. He has been before Felix. He has been before Festus. And now in chapter 26, he is brought to King Agrippa. And you remember how the Apostle Paul sought to persuade him to believe so that he almost did. He was always speaking of Jesus, of the gospel. Chapter 27, Finally, they put him on a boat and send him to Rome to Caesar. And he endures hardship and the wreck of his ship. And still his face is set toward Rome to preach the gospel there. Chapter 28, he makes it to Rome, languishing in a Roman jail for two years. We read in Acts chapter 28, verse 31, that still Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you seeing this principle in the Apostle Paul's life? Put Paul before a rioting multitude seeking his death, and he'll speak of his Lord. Put him before hostile kings and judges who had power to grant or to take away his life, and he will speak of Christ. 
put him in prison, shackle him, let him be shipwrecked, stranded on an island, and still he will preach. Lock him up in a Roman jail, and still he will preach the gospel. It's a wonderful story of Dr. Ann von Fahm, who came to the United States at the end, or actually several years after the end of the Vietnam War. Dr. Fahm was there on the roof of the U.S. Embassy there in Saigon. And I've heard him tell this story of how the last helicopter lifted off and there were those Viet, uh, uh, Vietnamese individuals who had worked with the Americans and they were scared for their lives. And the Marine there told him, don't worry, we'll come back for you. And the helicopters never returned. Dr. Von Fahm, Anne von Fahm was placed in a prison there held by the Viet Cong, and for three years, in terrible conditions, he saw others in the prison die of starvation and of torture and of illness. He himself became very ill. For three years, he preached the gospel. And in fact, began to see individuals come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he began to gather them into small groups for encouragement, for worship, for Bible study, for prayer. And let the Viet Cong do what they would to him and still he preached the gospel. The day came that they got tired of what he was doing and they said you must leave. <laughs> he preached the gospel with such urgency and with such passion and with such fruitfulness that they said we've had enough of you. We're washing our hands of you. Get out of here. And he said no. I will stay. And he stayed. And he continued to preach the gospel. There was a principle that was guiding his life. He must speak of Jesus Christ and speak of his gospel to those who did not have it, who had not heard it. Now there's much more to that story. I don't have time to tell you, but it's an amazing story of God's miraculous deliverance of uh, Dr. An von Fahm, of his family, of their way to, here to the United States, and of his continued ministry still to this day here in our country. It's an amazing story. Pastor, I wish I had time to tell it. But then I'd never get invited back. We would just go for a long time. But here, we, here are two men. This principle that drove them. Certainly the Apostle Paul, I must preach Christ and Him crucified. No matter the circumstances, no matter the challenges. Well, I want, to see, I want you to see in verse 20 how that principle further works itself out in his life. Paul says that I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. I make it my ambition to preach this gospel. Do you see this? That he is emphatic in his proclamation here. It has always been my ambition. I think is really the better translation here. Since Christ has saved me, since he saved me, every moment, every day, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel. And in particular, to preach the gospel to those who do not have the gospel. With Fuller, remember Andrew Fuller? To remind us of Fuller's writing, 
with Fuller, Paul could say that it is with a pure desire of working for God and for the benefit of my fellow sinners. Paul is emphatic. It is my ambition. It has always been my ambition to preach this gospel. And so he is obedient to the divine command, to the divine charge. In fact, it's always pleased God, hasn't it, by the foolishness of preaching. We call it the foolishness of preaching because the world sees it as foolish. But I'm looking at a crowd here this morning who one after another would give testimony of having sat under the foolishness of preaching. But here you are. It has always pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who were lost, to save those who will believe. Again, we are reminded by the Apostle Paul that it is the gospel, nothing else, but it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. And Paul has this one charge, and it is to preach the gospel. But you see how it in particular works itself out, this principle works itself out in his life. Look there in verse um, uh, uh, 23. I'm sorry. Look there in verse um, 20 where he writes, I make it my ambition uh, to do this, uh, to preach to those who have never seen, to those who have never heard, and then jump down to verse 23. Paul says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, what's going on? He says, I no longer have any reason to be here. Well, think about it in this way. Paul seems to sense that his work there in those regions is done. That is, the gospel has been preached there, but not yet in Rome as it needs to be preached. Not yet in Spain. Remember, he desired to go even to Spain. This is the heart of a missionary, isn't it? This is the heart of a missionary church. Follow the logic of this with me, if you will. The Apostle Paul, the missionary, the church that is faithful to God's command, takes the gospel to a people and there are and preaches it, and there are those who hear the gospel and respond in repentance and faith. And these are then gathered into a church, perhaps several churches. But I tell you, the heart of a missionary. The heart of a missionary church just beats in a certain way. And that missionary, that missionary church cannot help but lift eyes up and look beyond and look to the horizon. And this is the Apostle Paul, but there's a group over here, there's a city over there that has not yet heard. And what must Paul do? He must then get up and go there and preach the gospel. And there are those who will hear and there are those who will believe and they will be gathered into a church, into churches. And that heart continues to beat. And he lifts his eyes up and he realizes, but there are those others who have not heard. There are those places I, there are those places we have not yet been. And Paul must get up and go there. I was thinking about this just this past week. I'm pastoring there in Louisville, a little urban congregation uh, there 
right in the middle of um, uh, the urban setting of Louisville. And uh, as we get out in the neighborhood, and just this past week we had several conversations, um, and uh, it struck me that there are so many places, not merely around the world, but so many places right there in the Irish Hill and the Phoenix Hill neighborhoods of Louisville where we have not yet been. There are those families and those individuals right outside our doors who do not know this gospel, who do not know this Jesus. And so, uh, Brother Jim, I don't know where you are, but you and I talked a bit in leading up to this morning, and we talked about those places and, uh, where we have not been, where we are not. Paul cannot simply dismiss those places. He cannot simply look the other way. He must get up and he must go. In other words, he is obedient to the instructions of our Lord to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, in all of this, I want you to see one more thing. The prince, I, we've seen the principle, he must preach Christ. That principle working itself out in his life, it is his ambition. It has always been his ambition. I want you to see Paul's encouragement in all this. Look there again at verse 21. As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. What drove Paul onward? What kept him going in face of all of the challenges, the threats, even the death threats? What kept him going? I believe it was his confidence in the gospel and his confidence that God's people will hear and will respond and will be saved. In other words, God will get his people. Could we enter into a hypothetical conversation with the Apostle Paul for just a moment? And perhaps it would go something like this. We want to ask Paul about his uh, reasons for preaching, his reasons for suffering. And we want to know, Paul, what drove you onward? What, what kept you going? I mean, you don't even seem to be a mere mortal. You just, there's nothing that stops you. You just keep on keeping on. And so let us ask him, Paul, why did you suffer stonings? Why were you willing to do that, willing to be stoned? Paul, those beatings that you took in different places, why were you willing to receive those? What about the mocking of the peoples? Paul, you were thrown into jail in a lot of different places. Um, why were you willing to suffer imprisonment and even with joy? Paul, you suffered hunger. You faced shipwreck. Oh, Paul, we could go on for a long time talking about all the challenges, the dangers, the, the threats, the sufferings. Paul, why did you do it? Why did you run this race with pain, with always seemingly imminent threat, why did you run this race leaving everything behind you? Paul, are you some sort of masochist? Paul, are, are you, do you have some sort of mental condition 
that you simply enjoy pain and mocking and insult? Paul, is there something wrong with you? What drove you? What drives you? Folks, we don't have to be left wondering. The Apostle Paul tells us, as he writes to Timothy there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, I endure everything. You get that? All this stuff you've mentioned to me, you reminded me about, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I suffer all of this for God's glory, for the sake of his people, that they might hear and be saved. I go to those places where I am not. I go to those peoples who have not the gospel so that they might have it and be saved. I remember when my family and I first went to Indonesia There were those who would ask us, why in the world would you do that? Why would you go to all that trouble and go to the other side of the world? Um, You know, you you had to sell about everything you had. You left stuff here. You took your children there. Um, Risk, uh, all sorts of dangers, illnesses. You left family behind. You left the comfort of this country to go and live there. Uh, Why would you do that? And we really did not have much more of an answer than this, that Christ was slain and he purchased for himself a people from every nation and tribe and language. We believe that he has a people there in Indonesia and we are going there to get them by the preaching of the gospel. Paul went where he was not yet. And really, this is God's direction to us, isn't it? Oh, there's no doubt that there must be that inward ministry in the church, Pastor. Um, Over and over again, we are encouraged to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to hold one another accountable, to teach amongst ourselves. With those who mourn, we mourn. With those who rejoice in our congregation, we rejoice. We walk together. We are family. We are unified in Christ. We are one in Christ. Christianity is not a life that is lived in isolation, is it? But rather it is lived in community, in the family of church. That is the only genuine Christianity there is. And so there's always for us that inward looking, that caring for our own, loving one another, encouraging and strengthening one another, walking with one another. But God has blessed us in the same way that he blessed Abraham. Do you remember in that covenant there in Genesis 12? I will bless you and in you the families, the nations of the world will be blessed. And so it is with us as it was with Abram. He has blessed us, not that we might merely hold those blessings and keep them to ourselves, but that we would give them away 
to share those with those who do not have them. Well, I need to bring this to a close. What sort of lessons, what sort of practical applications might we glean from Paul's testimony here? Well, there are at least three. Let me mention these three that quickly come to my mind. Number one, as a church, as believers, as those who would testify of the gospel, we, with the Apostle Paul, recognize our absolute and utter dependence upon God. We cannot do this ourselves. But only as Christ works in us and through us. Paul says, I'll not boast of anything that I've done. <laughs> there really wasn't anything for him to boast in that he himself had done. But only of what Christ Jesus has done through me. And so we are reminded once again of our absolute and utter dependence upon God. If he does not go before us, if he does not walk beside us, stand behind us, if he does not undergird us and go with us, then all that we do is for naught. But he does go before us. He does stand behind us in protection. He does walk with us and encourage us. He does hold us up by his right hand. Charles, per, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, and I quote, it looks a task too gigantic to take the gospel to the world, to take the gospel to those who are near us and those, also those who are far from us. It looks a task too gigantic, but the bare arm of God. Only think of that. His sleeve rolled up. I, I don't often think of God with his sleeves rolled up, but this is Spurgeon, isn't it? And... Uh, just think of that. His sleeve rolled up. Omnipotence itself made bare. What can it not accomplish? Because God goes before us. The victory is assured. A second thought. We're not only reminded of our dependence upon God, but we're reminded that we must pray. If God indeed is the Lord of the harvest, if it is God who brings in the harvest, then we must ask him to bring in the harvest. Hudson Taylor, the great 19th century missionary to inland China, he once wrote, it is possible to move men solely by prayer to God. Hudson Taylor was not counseling us to withdraw into our prayer closets and never come out. You know, it's kind of a solitary existence and doing nothing but praying. But he's simply reminding us that prayer is powerful. That God pays attention to the prayers of his people. He hears them. And according to his power and his goodness and his wisdom, he answers our prayer. When we pray for our missionaries, when we pray for the work of the gospel around the world, let us pray with confidence. And let us pray often. We must pray. We must depend upon God. We must pray. And then a third thought. 
We are confident with the Apostle Paul that God will accomplish his purposes. Remember how Paul put it there in verse 21? Those who have never been told of him, not maybe, hopefully, if everything just happens to go just right. But Paul writes in quoting Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. I tell you, this sort of confidence will result in staying power for the missionary, will result in staying power for the church that supports financially and prays for and goes alongside those missionaries. Confident that God will indeed accomplish all that he intends to do. Do you believe that? That'll put steel in your backbone. We might ask the question, what kept William Carey in India for seven years without a convert amongst the Hindu masses? What kept him going? Seven years before he baptized his first Hindu convert there on the banks of the Hooghly River. I believe it was simply his confidence in the power of the gospel. I believe it was his confidence in God that God had a people there in India, northern India, and he would indeed get them by the preaching of the gospel. That kept him going. What kept Adoniram Judson, the 19th century Baptist um, missionary uh, to Burma, what kept him going for almost the same number of years before he saw his first convert from amongst the Burmese Buddhists? What kept him going year after year? It must have been his absolute confidence in God and his confidence in the gospel. C.D. Mallory, he was a Southern Baptist in Georgia in the 19th century. Preached a sermon on missions. And I quote from that sermon. With what immovable confidence may the missionary of the cross, in obedience to his ascended Savior, fly to distant lands and proclaim in every valley and every hill, O ye dry bones, hear ye the word of the Lord. Victory, he knows, will sooner or later come. And the assurance of victory nerves his arm and gladdens his heart amidst all the terrors of the battlefield. What kept you going, Paul? Confidence in God. Dependence upon God. Confidence in the gospel. They threw everything they had at you, Paul, and you kept going. That's right. Gray Road Baptist Church. Do you hear Paul's testimony this morning? Might that be your testimony? Might that be our testimony? That we will do whatever is necessary. Let them threaten us. Let them mock us. Let them imprison us. Let them throw everything they have at us. And yet we will preach the gospel. And we will support those who do. Even to the ends of the earth. Because we know. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Because we know that God has a people there in India. And there in Burma. They're in South Africa. They're in North Africa, across Asia, and South America, 
in the cities of North America and indeed all around the world. And he will get them by the preaching of the gospel. I love that statement from the angel to Joseph there in Matthew's birth narrative, there in Matthew chapter 1. The angel says to Joseph, Mary, your betrothed, she's pregnant with child by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son. And when she does, you're going to name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. You're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Do you see the emphatic nature of that pronouncement again with the Apostle Paul? It's not hopefully he will be able to save some people. Uh, he'll get most of those he intends to save or, you know, if all the pieces of the puzzle just happen to fall together. Oh no. Call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is our hope, isn't it? This is our encouragement. This is also our invitation this morning. You've already heard it this morning that if you were here this morning without knowing this Jesus, you need to hear that there is this God who has created all of us. And we've sinned against him and brought his wrath and his judgment down upon ourselves. It's nobody's fault but our own. It's nobody's fault but your own, my own. That's the bad news, but there is good news. That as we've sung this morning, Jesus has taken the sins of his people to the cross. And the gospel tells us that those who turn from their sins in repentance and believe upon him and follow after him will be saved. That's what we read, Pastor, from Romans 10 just a few moments ago. And so even, Jim, as we think of those places, those peoples where we are not, right now, but where we intend to be. We must never forget those who are right here. Look to him. I heard an old preacher one time say, Jesus is closer than the front of the church building. Jesus is closer than the pastor. In fact, Jesus is closer than even the tips of your fingers. That wherever there is a prayer for mercy, that's where you'll find Jesus. Do you know him this morning? Cry out to him and be saved. Gray Road Baptist Church, hear the Apostle Paul's testimony. And may this be your testimony. As you continue to go to those peoples and go to those places where you are not yet, where the gospel is not yet. Being confident of this, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To all who believe, to all who believe. Our Father, we thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul, how he persevered through everything that Satan and the world and his enemies, the enemies of the cross could throw at him. Oh, Father, may this be our testimony. As individuals, may this be the testimony of this church. Father, that come what may, we will be faithful to follow the divine command to preach the gospel, 
beginning right here in our Jerusalem and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Oh, Father, stir up your people to do this thing. And Father, save by the gospel those who are here with us and those who are even at the ends of the earth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It has been a good morning to hear about the Lord's work here in Indianapolis through Jason Hampton in the Sunday School Hour and now to be renewed in our confidence that God has a people to the ends of the earth and He will save them. And as we go about our week, God has a people at the end of our street and He will save them. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for this time of worship. We thank You for George Martin and his proclamation of Your Word and the way You have spoken through him. And we ask You to change us through it. We pray as he even will go in these uh, next weeks to various parts of the world to strengthen and encourage pastors in places that need more faithful gospel ministry. We pray you'll give him strength and endurance. We pray you'll bless his ministry, bless him and bless Donna and their family. Thank you for their faithfulness. Help us to take it as an example of what your grace can do. Thank you that he only wants to glory in Jesus Christ. As we go from here, may that be our testimony as it is your servant Paul's. We pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with us all. Amen.